an opportunity to start applying things that I had learned and practiced in the first 10 years of my career into healthcare improvement, working as a consultant for hospitals, originally through Johnson & Johnson. And that led to me writing a book, and that creates a little bit more independent credibility to start doing my own thing as a, an author, speaker, consultant, podcaster, entrepreneur. How do you design good systems and processes that protect the humans who are working in the healthcare system from human error? And then that helps protect the patient. Let's do our best to improve systems proactively to prevent mistakes. But when one does occur, gosh, we've got to embrace that as a learning opportunity to help make sure it never happens again. Naming, blaming, and shaming. And like the fact that it rhymes doesn't make it any more cute or effective. We got to move away from that. Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six to seven figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Baloo. And boy, do we have an exciting episode lined up for you today. Today, we have another one of our amazing, emerging thought leaders on the show today. I am speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, the legendary Mark Graven. Welcome to the show, Mark. <laughs> Thank you, Nikki. I do not want anyone else to ever introduce me again. You, that is, that was the best. <laughs> Thank you. We like, I like to think I'm the Bruce Buffer of the podcast introduction world. You know who Bruce Buffer is? Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> am I allowed to say his phrase or will I get sued? <laughs> <laughs> no, say it, brother. Say it. You're not going to get sued. He's all. Let's get ready to rumble. Let's get ready to rumble. Woo! So see, that was. That was even better. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mark, tell me your backstory. How'd you get to be the great Mark Graben? Uh, you're too kind. Um, I, my career took a detour, like about 10 years into my career. And this happens and this created opportunity. So my degrees originally, um, industrial engineering, I thought it was going to have a career in manufacturing leadership and quality improvement. And I was really interested in that. I went to grad school for that at MIT. And after bouncing around for a couple of years, I'm like, I don't really like big companies. I tried a startup. I went back to a big company. But then the, the greatest opportunity came in 2005, an opportunity to start applying things that I had learned and practiced in the first 10 years of my career into healthcare improvement, working as a consultant uh, for hospitals, originally through Johnson & Johnson, and that led to me writing a book, and that creates a little bit more independent credibility to start doing my own thing as a, an author, speaker, consultant, podcaster, entrepreneur, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I think one of the lessons there is being open to some sort of opportunity that's not on your idea of like, here's what the script for my career is going to be. I think I was able to take advantage of the flexibility to try a new industry to shift into healthcare. Good for you, man. You know, I can really relate to what you're saying because when I was in um, corporate, I could tell this was not for me. Like there was something about it that just was not 
speaking to my soul. Yeah. And as soon as I got out of corporate corporate and went into a more startup entrepreneurial type thing, even though I wasn't the founder or, or anybody other than like a very small, small, small shareholder, it was awesome from that point of view. Yeah. But God had another plan for me. And he sent me a message that even this isn't the path you're supposed to be on. You're supposed to be on your own path. And it sounds like you and I went through something similar in our journeys. It's a journey. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out what's what's my purpose and where should I be applying um, that purpose. So, you know, I've been um, consulting mostly in, in healthcare for the last 18 years now. I still do enjoy having an opportunity to work with businesses in um, other industries and, and sectors. There's a startup software company I've been involved with the second time here, uh, a company Kinexus I've been involved with in different ways for the last 11 years. So like for me, it really comes down to things like leadership and culture. How do you engage people in improvement? And then, you know, recent years, you know, developing a, a passion um, that, that turned into a podcast and my most recent book about learning. How do we get better at learning from mistakes? We all make them. Startups make mistakes. Hospitals make mistakes. Now, those hospital mistakes could be harmful or deadly. So there's a different level of um, you know, rigor that goes into trying to prevent mistakes, things that should never happen, as opposed to honest mistakes you make when you're trying to innovate. You know, you, if, if you're in, in that realm, I've interviewed a lot of entrepreneurs. I'd be curious if you agree, Nikki. If you're, if you're an entrepreneur and you're never making mistakes, you're not really trying hard enough to innovate. Of course, and, 100% agree. Heck, I'd love to come on your show, man. Sounds like a pretty cool show. Sounds like yeah, a type of show that, that uh, you know, asks a whole bunch of really great questions. So, um, Mark, let's use that podcast of yours because that podcast obviously is something that you created to be of service, but also to highlight mm -hmm. all the wonderful ways in which you solve problems for clients. So why don't you tell me what are the typical problems that you talk about on the podcast and the problems that you solve for your clients and specifically what you do to solve those problems for clients. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, maybe it's a mistake, but you know, with the podcast, my favorite mistake, I really do try to let the guests for each episode be the star of the show. I mean, I, I'd like to think I ask uh, insightful questions and good follow-up questions and, you know, demonstrate some, some expertise that way. But, you know, I always ask a guest and, and Nikki may, you know, you can think about this and see if you feel up for it. What's your favorite mistake? You know, it's a very open-ended, subjected, subjective question of what's a mistake that led to growth or something positive. Um, so, uh, you know, I, working with organizations, a lot of it is in, in healthcare where we are trying really hard to prevent mistakes. That's where I think lessons from the manufacturing world come into play. How do you design good systems and processes that that protect the humans who are working in the healthcare system from human error? And then that helps protect um, the patients. So, you know, how do we prevent medication errors where the wrong dose, the wrong medication is given to a patient? When that does happen, kind of from a mindset and a culture standpoint, we realize it's not bad nurses or bad pharmacists that, that we're battling here. It's, it's bad systems and bad processes. So that's where I help people think through either proactively, here are the things that could go wrong. 
here are the ways in which they could go wrong. Let's, let's do our best to improve systems proactively to prevent mistakes. But when one does occur, gosh, we've got to embrace that as a learning opportunity to help make sure it never happens again. So those are the types of things where, you know, if I'm rolling up my sleeves and I'm working with the hospital, there's that one level of preventing mistakes and learning from them. When I'm working with a startup company, whether it's Kinexus or others, there's there's a di- little different spin to the approach where we're almost trying to make mistakes in the in the effort to innovate, but catch them when they're small. You know, use small mistakes to prevent huge failures and giant catastrophes. Um, some of the similar mindsets help us in both of those situations. And it's really fascinating. I, I learn every time. I kind of go back and forth between startup land and hospital land. I got to tell you, I really love the name of your podcast. I really love the question that you ask. It made me think, you know, okay, that would be a really cool question to go to because I made a bunch of mistakes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? A whole bunch. So which one's my favorite? That's a really good way to think about it. And I got to tell you, as someone who works with a lot of coaches and consultants and experts, on on thought leadership and how to utilize thought leadership to kind of bring your genius in a more commercial fashion into the world. I just think to myself and I go, this is really clever. This is a way to attract people that never heard about you, never knew who Mark Graben was and mm-hmm. have you like emerge as that thought leader. This, I, I, if, I were, if I were like kind of like advising you, huh? I just go, Mark, you got to double down on this, man. This is really good. Really, really good. So kudos, bro. I think the book, the book inspired by the podcast is my my doubling down on that. And I like to play blackjack. Um, So I, you know, given the opportunity to double down yet again, um, am I, do I have a good hand? I think so. (laughs) I think you got a great hand. And I think the book's a fantastic idea too. And like, God, one of the things I'd say to you is I go bring a whole bunch of your potential buyers on your show. Uh, and I would ask these questions of them because if they came on your show and you say, Hey, look, I got this cool show. It's called your favorite mistake, blah, blah, blah. That's what I do. And a bunch of these guys came on your show. I'm telling you some opportunities will, will flush out of that. Those guys are going to get to know you and love you in a way that if you just kind of like went on LinkedIn and say, Hey, do you want to have a conversation? Right. Go, yeah. Whatever. Oh, come on your show. Sure. I'll come on your show. They come on your show. They spend a half an hour, an hour with you. They get to know you. You're a personable guy. You got great charisma. You ask these fantastic questions. Like what's my favorite mistake. And at the end of that, the guy's going to go, Hey man. So Mark, like, well, what do you, what do you actually do? And you tell him, like, you go, Oh, well, this is what I do. Really? Maybe we should talk. Like that's, that's like, I'm thinking, wow. I'm thinking this is genius. I really like it. Okay. So let me transition to the next question here. So Mark, given this, like, what is the dent you're seeking to make in the universe? Cause the vibe I get from you, man, is you're a good man. Like you give a, you give a good gosh darn, you want to make a difference in the world. So what is that dent to put it in the words of the late, great Steve Jobs that you're seeking to make in the universe, brother? Well, thank you for that. And, uh, there's a couple ways to try to answer that. I think what, what dent am I trying to make in the world? Um, one, I think on the healthcare side, and this is interrelated. And I got this inspiration in my first job working at General Motors, even though, look, different industry, different environment. People hated going to work there. And I've been through way too many hospitals where it's a similar dynamic, where people hate going to work. They love 
their profession that they started, whether that's nursing or uh, being a surgeon or a pharmacist or what have you, um, this gets drained out of them. I want organizations and leaders to stop doing that. You know, stop draining people of that energy that they have to serve others, especially in healthcare. And then I think related to that, I think the dent I want to make in the world is to help push in this direction. And thankfully, there are others pushing of saying, we've got to stop punishing people for honest mistakes, quote unquote, human error. It's counterproductive to blame and punish people. And that does nothing but ensure we're not fixing the underlying systems. And that ensures that we have more mistakes and more harm happening over time. And, and it's all interconnected, right? Sometimes people get really burned out and discouraged because they're tired of being blamed for things that aren't their fault. And I'm certainly tired of hearing stories of patients being harmed or, or killed. So there's this mission to try to help eliminate mistakes, but we've got to go about it in a way that's different than kind of the traditional look. And healthcare has a phrase. I hear this so many places. How do we react to mistakes? Naming, blaming, and shaming. And like the fact that it rhymes doesn't make it any more cute or effective. And we got to move away from that. Mark, this is really, really good. Um, so I'm taking some detailed notes over here, man. This is really, really good. I really like what you said around stop punishing people for honest mistakes. Stop naming, blaming, and shaming. The fact that it rhymes doesn't make it cute. I totally agree. The name game, the blame game, the shame game. The name, blame, and shame game. I'll tell you what, man. It's got to go. It's got to end. Okay. So, so given what you're doing and what you're up to and what matters to you, man, like, so who is your ideal client? Who's the person that has the itch, this itch that you're looking to scratch? Mm -hmm. I'm still figuring that out and uh, would love to talk to you uh, about this. Um, you know, I, the most recent conversations have been um, with people in healthcare. It's usually, you know, at a vice president level, someone responsible for process improvement and, and patient safety. That's kind of a core part of my audience. I think even better if it's an engagement with the C-suite as um, decision makers and they, they have more sway, you know, to, to bring someone like me in, they have a little more influence over culture um, because of their position. Um, you know, I think uh, startup founders, you know, would love partnering up with more of them. I've had a really good relationship um, with the co-founders and the team at Kinexus as that company um, has grown. You know, I think I, I do a good job of, of helping people think through, not just wishing, you know, that we have this culture, but I've learned some things, thankfully, along the way. Um, you know, I think some practical tips for what leaders can do to build this kind of culture to go beyond, okay, we stopped punishing. Well, now what? You know, there's there's other actions that leaders can take. So, you know, I think a lot of what I'm trying to do hopefully influences people at, you know, that, that executive owner founder level. Okay, you know what? I really like your answer and it, so first of all, let's definitely figure out a time to talk offline when you and I are done at, a, at another time about this, because, man, this is cool shit. But um, I really like what you what you just said. We've stopped punishing. So now what? I think this is the title for like a book, you know, 
I think yeah. this is like a series of podcast episodes on your favorite mistake. This is like like maybe 12, 15 episodes that go into aspects of the topic where you bring on people and you go, you pre-plan them so they don't get to just talk about whatever. You're going to tell them, look, this is what we're talking about, okay? But you go and you go deep. You take each of these. You make them a chapter, a 15-chapter book, maybe 10, 20 pages a chapter. You put this out there and you get this into the hands of certain C-suite people. I wholeheartedly agree with you. The C-suite's the place to go. I'd even say the CEO, honestly, mm-hmm. not just the C-suite. Your dude is the CEO and the founder. They should yeah. they should care about this. They should care about this deeply. And if they don't, they're dumb. <laughs> you know what I mean? They, they don't belong good in the job, right? Like, good luck to you. Yeah. yeah. So I'm thinking, shoot, dude, this is like – like, this is really good. Like, listen, with these emerging thought leader episodes, I got to be honest, some of the episodes are great. Some of them are not. When they're not great, I don't even run them. I go, okay, this dude is a nice person, but they're just, this one's going like to the front of the queue, man. This is like kick-ass. Let's rock and roll. Okay. So given what you just said, right, and, and who you're, you're trying to like really, really get the right person. You're trying to figure this out. Um, how are you currently attracting the attention of clients or getting them to come to speak to you? There's a couple of things, um, you know, referrals, introductions through somebody else, you know, it's really powerful. That's one yeah. potential engagement that I have right now. Somebody reached out to somebody I consider to be a real uh, expert and thought leader, someone who's a hero of mine. And that person recommended somebody, you know, go talk to Mark Raven. So that was, nice. that was a huge, um, that's great when things like that happen. Um, I've always been, I, I think, more natural, more comfortable with uh, with what people call inbound marketing or content marketing. Uh, I love writing. So even before I started writing books uh, 15 years ago, I had been blogging a couple years before that. Uh, LinkedIn as a social media platform has been uh, really good to me. They invited me to be part of what they call their, they called it the influencers program. Then I'll call it top voices, but um, you know I have about five hundred thousand followers on LinkedIn. But the question is, how many of them are in that you know kind of target ballpark sure, of sure. Um, decision makers and uh, partners and buyers um, of services? So you know I've tried to use I've, I've I've tried to take the approach of getting my ideas and my name out there. I'm not going to be for everybody, right? So, I mean, I don't need every client in the world. Sometimes I take, you know, stands on things that some people might think are controversial or they might not appreciate my sense of humor. I'm like, well, that's that's fine. Better to discover that earlier than later. You can't try to be, a, you know, if you try to be a fit with everybody, you might not really excite anybody. Um, so I've, I've tried to make it easy for people to find me what I've been thinking about here is, you know, kind of thinking on the other side, partnering with somebody who can help me with more of that, that outreach. But then again, like you said, you know, those, those LinkedIn DMs, does anybody really ever appreciate those and try to think of like, you know, modern cold calling versus doubling down on the right kind of content that piques the interest of, of the right people. You know, I'm, I'm still, I'm, I don't have all the answers to this. 
that's why I'm emerging, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, like I said, let, let let's talk offline. But there's one one of the things that I that I um, uh, came up with, and we started to teach the thought leaders was there's actually eleven different ways in which you can attract the attention of clients. Referrals are absolutely very powerful. Content marketing's absolutely one, but that's like two out of eleven, right? To really be getting the full benefit of people who need to hear from you, hearing from you, you got to be doing at least four well. And, okay. um, and I, 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 like I said, this, this is a longer topic and we're showcasing you today, but this is cool. I love the top voices from LinkedIn program. Like, I think that's super cool. Like, I didn't know that about you. And I'm like, I'm, I'm like impressed. As soon as you said that, I thought, damn, that's pretty cool. You, you know? Um, so, why don't you walk me through like one of your biggest, most gratifying client success stories, Mark? Mm. I'm going to pause and think because that's that's like asking someone your favorite mistake. I want to think through. <laughs> and, I mean, it's, not, it's more self-effacing when someone says, it's hard to choose a favorite mistake because I've had so many. When I start saying, it's hard to choose which success, that, that doesn't land. <laughs> Um, quite the same way. So, it's so I'm gonna, I'm you're doing gonna, good, buddy. You're doing good. Don't worry. I'm, I'm going to stall um, a little bit, but well, here. So let me, let me tell you know one story, and I think one reason it's so meaningful to me is because of some of the human impact that it had on somebody else in this health system who was an emerging leader. Um, so I was working with, and this was over the course of probably two and a half years. Uh, a children's hospital in uh, in Texas, and within the hospital laboratory, thankfully, I had, you know, I was there as a consultant and a coach, but I had a leader who was very much a partner in trying to figure out how to change the culture. He was relatively new to the hospital. He had retired from military medicine, which was uh, a, a culture that he learned of respecting everybody, engaging everybody in improvement, not just barking orders. He wasn't a stereotypical drill sergeant. He was a servant leader and, and the type who wanted to engage everybody and, and help people grow. So over time, we I helped them implement some continuous improvement systems because it's one thing to have the intent. They're like, oh, we want continuous improvement. I was able to come in and teach, well, here's some of the mechanisms and some of the mindsets you have to be careful uh, about holding to to really help make it work. So we were reducing uh, what they call the turnaround time of reducing the time that it takes to get laboratory test results back to the physicians by a, a factor of like 70%. They were increasing productivity. They were improving quality. Faster test results means faster diagnosis, better care, or in some cases, faster discharge. Like it's really meaningful work that I was happy to be a part of. But I think like the icing on all of that cake was a guy, John, who worked in the laboratory. He had been asked many times about being a supervisor. And, you know, as John told me, and he finally kind of came around to tell his leaders, the reason he had always said no was that in the old culture, being a leader meant being a cop. You would write people up for doing the wrong things. And he didn't want to be put in that position with coworkers that he considered to be friends. But when the culture changed, you know, with Jim's leadership and my coaching and shifting what it meant to be a leader, John finally said yes to a leadership position. And he got promoted from supervisor to manager. And I think it just goes to show 
like just the, the human impact and, and helping somebody like John reach more of his professional potential. I don't mean just the paycheck, right? He was a guy who by nature wanted to help other people. And that leadership role, the way it was defined, wasn't compatible with that. But when you have, to me, a better culture and helping others is compatible with leadership, I mean, just so many good things happened. And, and that's where I felt like I know this was going to be sustainable once I walked away because of the leaders that were being developed under Jim under this new culture. So that for, for that reason alone, you know, I mean, just I'll call it the John factor that was really, really meaningful to me. The John factor. I like that, man. You've come up with some really good phrases today, really good questions. I, I'm, I'm very impressed. That's that's Thanks. that's beautiful, man. Congratulations. Well done. So listen, I'm going to ask a question that's a little bit more personal, okay? But yeah. like as an emerging thought leader, right, someone with a big desire to make a big dent in the world, what's the biggest challenge you're facing in terms of getting to more people, in terms of helping more people? It's a good question. That's a really good question too, Nikki. Um, Thank you. I don't know if it's the biggest thing. One one thing that I've been thinking through and trying to trying to figure out is like people, you know, people see like, oh, you've got a new book out and you're doing things, and there there's uh, people I know who make this assumption that turns out to be incorrect. Of like, man, you're you're totally crushing it. You must be completely busy. Like, well, actually, the truth is not quite there. So like, how many people, and I've talked to people like, well, we'd love to work with you, but uh, we figured you're busy or we figure you're too expensive. And, you know, there, there's this, I don't know, like there's this kind of this, this middle ground. I don't know if this happens with other people you talk to in this emerging scale. Yeah. Um, in this, you know, uh, you, you kind of get caught at this point where the perception of, you're crushing it exceeds the actual crushing. Now that wasn't really a great phrase, but you know, you know, I know what you're trying to say. I know what you're trying to convey. Yeah. yeah, You don't want to be, you know, like how authentic about like, Hey, I, well, how to articulate a message that, you know, doesn't sound like things are horrible because they're not, you know, and I, I don't think, it may be a good sense of my personality. I, I don't spend a lot of time out there. I mean, I'll share like, here's stuff I'm doing, but I don't feel like it's just hyping myself. Um, I think compared to the way others operate, maybe that's the engineer in me, right? I say engineers stereotypically have trouble with more of that push of like, Hey, let me, let me help you and, and do so in a way, sure. you know, I want to help organizations the way John wanted to help people in that lab. You know? Yeah, yeah. You, you want to talk up your work. You don't want to talk about yourself. It's not what you do. You want to talk up the, the work and how the work helps people. I right. get it. Yeah. That's not commercially smart. You got to talk about yourself a little bit. <laughs> you understand? It's, yeah. it's, it's very understandable. In, in a way, there's some, there's some nobility to it, right? Because you don't want to be like one of these. But listen, you live in a world where there's so much competition for yeah. people's attention you got to give them a reason to to pay attention. Yeah. You know, you, you don't need to be the equivalent of an Instagram model. You know what I mean with your abs showing, or you know, or anything like that. But right. you do, you do need to put something in the in, in the forefront of, of people's attention. But hey, I, I thought that was good. That was a really good answer to a question. So, um, I'm going to just 
uh, ask you a follow-up to that because I think you, you answer that so well that I think this follow-up naturally follows through. I don't always ask it, but okay. what frustrates you about this? What frustrates you about the fact that the people that need to know who you are don't know who you are, some of them? Um, well, so, so here, I'll, t- I'll, take it in a mo- I'll take that in a more personal direction. That's something I've talked to a therapist about, and I'll share that, and, and there's no shame and, uh, you know, reaching out and talking to therapists. That's my message to anybody who's wondering like, oh, if I should or what, you know, talking through, you know, kind of, um, you know, it's not midlife crisis, right? It's not that, it's not anything that uh, extreme. I wouldn't put that label on it, but um, I'm, I'm turning 50 tomorrow as we're recording this. And by the time it's out. Happy early birthday, brother. The five <laughs> oh. And you start thinking about like, okay, how many more years of, of, of work? I don't want to stop working too soon. I want to be doing stuff that I love doing and, you know, that I'm passionate about and people I love working with. But the thing, you know, kind of talking through with the therapist of like feelings of like, like what, what, what you think you can bring to the world and kind of untapped potential. Like, I feel like I've got um, ideas and approaches, um, you know, to offer and um, it's again, like wasted potential would be too strong of a way of saying it, but just like feeling like you're not reaching the impact. I'm not reaching the impact that I could have. Now, a therapist will turn and ask, well, how much impact should you, you know, <laughs> expect to be having? You know, the therapist will say, well, maybe you should dial back. This is not a direct quote or anything that therapist said, but like this question of, what are you happy with or what's what's enough impact to be happy with? I, I feel like I've made impact and it's impact a lot of people would be thrilled um, to have made, you know, but I still feel that pull of like there's 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 this uh, purpose and impact that I can have that I'm still trying to figure out how to tap into more fully. This is a very perceptive answer. And I appreciate you saying it. And I'll talk with you offline about this, but this is a really good answer. Mm-hmm. And I'll say this. Um, it's your life. You get to choose. Not a therapist, not your friend, yeah. not your wife, not your kids. You get to choose. Yeah. We all are given, I believe, by Almighty God, a, um, a glimpse of who we can be. Mm-hmm. And God puts us here on this earth and says, okay, go forth. Be that person. Yeah. And when we are close to being that person, we feel at peace. When we're not close to being that person, the frustration gnaws at our soul, man. I know because I've been there a lot. I'm yeah. still there in some respects. Yeah. You, you know, and if you feel something's gnawing on your soul, then man, go for it. Go for it. Because, you know, success, it's not just success that you deserve. You deserve to live the life that you were intended to live. You deserve to be making the difference you, you were intended to make. And not, nobody tell you different. Um, yeah. that, that's that's my thoughts. Okay, two more questions. Okay, a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, what would be like an absolute dream for you come true in terms of your business and where it's at and the impact that you're having, in terms of things having gone supersonic? What would have you crying tears of joy? Hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, try to figure out how to reach that 
that impact and like not, you know, just trying to think of, you know, reaching more people on more big stages um, as a speaker, you know, really kind of rolling up my sleeves and working with leaders and organizations to really make an impact, um, you know, help set an example to try to shift. You know, like I'm, I'm not going to be able to work with everybody. Now, the beauty of a book is that in theory could reach everybody, but to do that deeper work and, and, and get more of these case study examples out there, like not, not, not just to talk about what could be, but to help share the stories of what we and what others have done to change this culture in corporate America and startups and hospitals, you know, away from naming, blaming and shaming to actually learning and improving when it comes to mistakes. Like I, I think the big dream is that would start becoming more of the default culture of, um, you know, people might say like, remember when, like, oh yeah, everyone always used to ask who screwed up when something bad happens. But, you know, now, now societies have learned, um, we need to ask why instead of who, like, that's, that's part of, that's part of the big dream. Man, this has been really fun and awesome having this conversation with you. And so, um, if somebody is listening to this and they want to know how to connect with you, man, and get your book or listen to your podcast, give me all that so we can make sure that that's in the show notes for the people. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, markgraven.com is uh, my main website, or people can also go to mistakesbook.com or mistakespodcast.com. Uh, easier to spell, probably, you know, easier pathways to the, the book in the podcast and um, you know, LinkedIn is the, as I mentioned earlier, the main social media site that's been really good for me. Uh, name Mark Graben is unique enough, uh, G-R-A-B-A-N. Come find me on LinkedIn or you know, come reach out. Um, would love to, to work with you on moving some of these, these things forward. If you, if you share you know, some of my view and, and passion about some of this potential to try to help, uh, you know, uh, to try to change the world this way, or at least change an organization this way, uh, please reach out. You know what? I am uh, going on LinkedIn right now, and um, there we go. We're now connected. All awesome. right. Thanks, Nick. Um, that, that's, that's super cool, super fantastic. So, so, Mark, we end off each episode by asking you as our guest expert to – Tell us your top three, what I call expert action steps. These are like bullet points. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So these are your best pieces of advice for my listener to take their life, their world, their business to a whole new level. So what say you? So I think for, you know, one is start as, a, as, as an individual or as a leader, start calling out and admitting your own mistakes. I think that's a healthy habit. It might feel really awkward and uncomfortable. Um, I think with practice, it gets better. And admitting mistakes as a leader doesn't make employees think less of you. They actually think more highly of you when you set that example. Then I think a second key action step is, you know, if you're in a leadership position and you're, you're leading by example here and people start following your lead and they start admitting mistakes, don't punish them for that. Thank them for the admission, for pointing it out, for calling it out, and put all of the focus on learning from the mistake 
and preventing, figuring out how to prevent it from happening again. Pro tip, don't tell people to be more careful because if that worked, uh, that, that would be easy. And then, you know, I think the, t- the, I think the third action step. So, you know, start admitting mistakes, owning them, encourage and reward people to do the same. Okay, I'm going to call that the three, actually. The second step is encourage others to follow your lead. The third step is to very actively reward them for doing the same. So there we go. Modeling, encouraging, and rewarding. We can spark a new conversation uh, about mistakes in our organizations. You know, this is very powerful, and I appreciate it. I took took notes on all three, and this is timely for me, to be perfectly honest. I, I need to call myself out on the mistakes I make more. I've started to do that, but it's been very difficult for me. I've had it wrapped up with my identity. Oh my God, this must mean I'm a bad person, blah, 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 and all that kind of crap that's been in my head all my life. So really hearing that, and um, there are no accidents. God puts people in our path at the time that we need to hear from mm-hmm. them. I think God put you in my path for me to hear from you, hear this, and maybe me in your path for me to give you this platform and also to have a separate conversation with you about how you can be seen by more people. So God yeah. bless you, brother. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This is fantastic. Thank um, you, Nikki. Yeah, you bet. Listener, Mark Graben is the freaking real deal, man. This guy is smart as all get out. So make sure you go to his website, markgraben.com and the mistakesbook.com and mistakespodcast.com. Grab a copy of the book. Listen to a couple of episodes on his show. Who knows? I might be a guest on a show. It sounds pretty cool. There you go. The mistakes that make us. I love it. One, one of the things that I talk about in one of the courses I teach is we talk about mistakes make gurus. That's one of our kind of like um, uh, uh, thought leaders code. One of the tenets of the thought leaders code is mistakes make gurus. So there you go. We, we, we're there with you. And, I love it. and listener, if this touched you and you benefited from this and you have a friend who's going through some trouble or they're, they're one of these people that's really hard on themselves. Mistakes aren't really uh, something that sit lightly on their shoulders. They actually cause them to feel bad about themselves. Then have them listen to this episode, share it with them and go, hey, check this out, man. This could actually make you think differently about mistakes in a way that actually has you perform better rather than beat yourself up, you know, because we have enough of that going Yeah. Yeah. And, and Mark, I love the way said that. Thank you. Thank you. And that wraps up another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about today's one and only amazing, incredible guest, the legendary Mark Graben, go to the show notes at thethoughtleaderrevolution.com or wherever you happen to listen to this episode, be it Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Audible, or what have you. Until next time, goodbye. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice.